I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning. It's Blaise Olson. I'm in for Rashini today, joined by Dr. David Hilden on Healthy Matters. And uh, I hear Dr. David Hilden all the time, so I'm looking forward to uh, this next hour, especially the topic at hand here. Dr. Hilden, welcome to your early Sunday morning. Good morning, Blaise. Glad to have you with us. I do get to listen to you all the time. I do... I do a short segment with Dave uh, Lee uh, about an hour after you, and so yep. you're often the first voice I hear in the morning <laughs> when I wake up. So it's good to hear you on a Sunday morning when you are probably wishing you could be sleeping in a little bit. Well, that's okay. As Devin and I were talking, uh, these early mornings were started when I was young, and you just mentioned you had a paper route when you were young, too, and the idea that, that we let 11, 12-year-olds wander around at 4, 5 in the morning uh, when we were younger I also think it would have solved a lot of issues, but uh, I haven't been able to change my wiring some 35 years later. I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, I was listening to the two of you talking. I remember getting up at like 4 in the morning. It's like five below zero in South yep. Minneapolis. I'm 12 years old. I go and I pick up the newspapers. and Invariably, there weren't quite enough newspapers for all the 12-year-olds, so some kid was short five or six papers. Cause <laughs> some, I don't know why that was. You know, the whole thing. <laughs> so you had to call the paper. Oh, we were 12. Yeah, 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 but it builds character. That's what I say. It really does. There's a work ethic there. And then the other thing one of our texters said was they, you know, we also had to collect the money, which gave me yep. a, an early lesson in business. Let's just say, uh, asking people for money at 12 years old for their service was. And you used to peel off those little sticker things yep. out of your. You just walk through there and you'd go collect, and you'd yep. you get like two dollars. Exactly. <laughs> I got a letter in the papers uh, yesterday and today from my weekend carrier. Uh, happy holidays, and those are people I always make sure I tip around this time of the year because uh, I appreciate it. I still get uh, three or four newspapers every day at my house, so there you go. I'll bet you do. I get two. I get, uh, you know, I get the Star Tribune seven days a week, and then I, I get the Times on the weekends. And I do also, you know, the folks who do that, who who provide services that you never really meet or you see, and you know, right. it's a good good idea to remember them. Good yes. idea to remember them. I like For that. Sure. I like that at this time of year as well. Well, we have a great show here. Uh, uh, you have, and so timely. I think um, as we're in this surge on the pandemic, and we're all thinking about what we can do or. Uh, thinking about frontline workers, you have somebody who's really, truly right there, um, probably under more pressure and under more stress uh, than both the department or the system uh, was really designed for. And so I'll let you introduce our guest. 
Thanks a lot, Blois. I have uh, John Galligan. Now, John is a respiratory therapist and has been, I'll, I'll ask him this, but for some decades, I'm pretty sure, he is the manager of the respiratory care department at Hennepin Healthcare, the hospital that you uh, many of you know as HCMC in downtown Minneapolis, where I work. John, it's good to have you on the show today. Yeah, I, I, this is, what, the second time I've been on, I feel like an honored, uh, uh, honored guest here. I know you're you're a pro, John. You're 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 now a radio veteran. Once you've been on twice. <laughs> well, my my dad always said I had a face for radio. Yeah, that's exactly right, John. You are a respiratory therapist. Not only that, you run the department. I'm going to give a, just a brief story, and then I want you to comment about how respiratory care is handling um, this pandemic. So yesterday, I was at the hospital. I had two situations. Um, uh, one, a, a, a patient unfortunately died of COVID after about two hours after I was talking to him over breakfast. He died two hours later because that's how COVID works. And then a few hours later, I was with another patient who did not have have COVID but had a, a bad cancer and was, was struggling to breathe. And I called the respiratory therapist, one of your people, who showed up about three minutes later. And about four minutes later, that patient was doing wonderfully breathing um, due to the treatments the respiratory therapist provided. So you guys are, are so critical to not only this pandemic, but to regular patient care who, for patients who don't have COVID. Could you describe for our listeners what what your department is seeing um, during this pandemic? How are you guys all holding up, and and what kind of what kind of services are you are you having to provide? Um, you know what what we see. Um, I I think on on the on the front end of this when it when we were first seeing it in the spring, um, we were kind of following what a lot of other uh, institutions had done, in particular out east, we were doing a lot of ventilator work. We weren't really waiting, um, kind of riding it out. And um, that was why you saw such a huge push earlier in the year or, or in the spring about ventilators, ventilators, ventilators. But as it kind of uh slowed a little bit or ebbed here in the summer, then we were kind of like, you know, uh, we, we really probably could optimize better with our, with our high flows and, and in particular using a, a BiPAP machine for non-invasive ventilation. So we were thinking that, well, maybe we can do more on that pre-side of, of being on a ventilator so on this fall here, then on, on this second hump of this COVID camel, um, we're seeing a, a lot more oxygen therapy and, and high flows and um, using, the, using the BiPAPs as non-invasive and also really, really taking more advantage of that, what we call a wake proning, where we've got people who are not in the ICU, but are exhibiting this this low level of oxygen, and then allowing them to be laying on their front as opposed to their back, and then letting the lungs kind of use a, use a larger portion of of their um, system to allow for for better oxygenation. So we've we've we're not we're not seeing right now uh, as many. Uh, vented patients with COVID as we did in earlier in the spring, which is, 
which is good. It, 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 that, that's good to see that we're, we're not overwhelming our ICUs with vented COVID patients, but we're, we're keeping them on the floors a little bit longer and, and working with them there so that just we're just moving that strain from the ICU to the floors. That's what people, I think, maybe um, uh, it, that, that point is sometimes lost. Um, we still have all these cases. We still have death rates that are rising. It's an, actually an awful time um, for COVID listeners. I just have to be honest. It's a horrible time. But one of the things that we did, what you did, listeners, what everybody did by flattening the curve last spring is that it allowed people like John and the experts in respiratory care to figure out the best ways to treat patients so we didn't run out of ventilators because we realized there were ways to do it without the ventilator before they needed the ventilator. That's just a great example. of That's what we all learned as a hospital system um, over these last several months. We're probably going to have to take a break very soon. We're going to take your, your texts and calls. I'm talking to John Galligan, the manager of respiratory therapy at Hennepin Healthcare. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. I'm Blois Olson, in for Rashini today, joined with Dr. David Hilden here from Hennepin Healthcare. Uh, we have with us John Gallagher, a respiratory therapist. Dr. Hilden, why don't you uh, go a little deeper into this very, very uh, high-pressure uh, situation we're dealing in with this latest surge? Thanks a lot, Blois. So uh, we are talking to John Galligan from the uh, respiratory therapy department. John, could you, uh, and we have some callers on the line. We're going to get to them real shortly. But John, could you just describe for our listeners what you see in a typical patient with, with COVID-19? People often ask me this question. It's like, well, what does it look like? It's no big deal. It's just not a big deal. You know, it's a cold. It's like the flu. Well, a lot of people are living in their homes with COVID, and, and, and indeed, for many people, thankfully, it is a mild illness. But for so many people, so many, way more than everybody might realize, it's an exceptionally serious illness. And it is, it is I would liken it to imagine basically suffocating. You just, you just can't breathe anymore. And think of what that might feel like. So if you could describe for our listeners, what do you see when you get a patient who's not doing well with COVID, their oxygen levels might be quite low, how do you care for them? Uh, the, the, <clears throat> the patients that we wind up seeing, you know, that, that get sick enough to, to get admitted into the hospital, it is that low, <clears throat> that low oxygen level. That's what, that's what we see uh, as opposed to uh, someone who might have uh, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD or uh, uh, emphysema where their oxygen might be okay, but it's their CO2, their carbon dioxide, that tends to be very high. And, and you have that, that uh, respiratory failure from, from the, the high carbon dioxide levels. But what we're seeing in these folks is that the lung mechanics – and, and their CO2 is actually good, it's, it's that low oxygen level. That's what's affecting them. And they may come in okay, and it's just like, hey, I feel short of breath. I got this cough. I, I, I'm kind of tired, and, and, you know, I just don't feel right. And you check their oxygen on, uh, with an oximeter on their finger, and they're satting at 74%, which is 74% of their hemoglobin has oxygen on it. 
whereas normal is 98%, and we're seeing these huge drops on these people, and it's quite alarming when, when we see that. And, um, but it's even more alarming to have somebody who's lucid and carrying on a conversation with you. So that's been the big, like, ah, moment for us is, is seeing that very low oxygen level. Yeah, I, I, I was mentioning that just in passing earlier. I'm working in the hospital this week caring for many, many patients with COVID. And just this a couple of days ago, I'm literally speaking to a man with COVID-19. And he was eating his scrambled eggs. And in between bites, he was chatting with me. And, you know, I've got the big gear on. I've got the gown, the mask, the the face shield. I've got the whole the whole nine yards. And he's chatting with me, and he was talking about his life. I was getting to know him just a little bit, and he even joked a little bit. He smiled a little bit. And I'm looking on the monitor on the wall, and it said his oxygen saturations were 72%. And it's like, I've, I've been practicing medicine for 20 years, and I've never seen that. If your oxygen levels are 72%, you're in trouble. You are not doing well, and you and you know it, and you're not having a nice conversation with your doctor. It's one of these things like I have to say, okay, sir, I'm going to have to, you know, we're going to have to do something here. Your oxygen levels aren't compatible with, with living. And, and sadly, that man that I was having a very kind, normal, cordial conversation with did indeed die. And not long later, two or three hours later. So it is this, this weird weird illness that that is just baffling us and we're starting to learn a lot more about it but it is it is the kind of thing that i just want people to know i know it's a mild illness for you or your loved ones that you know in the community but if you are one of those folks who ends up in the hospital you can go from having breakfast in a conversation to unfortunately not surviving in just a matter of hours and that's what we're talking about today um we've got john galligan he's the manager of respiratory care at hennepin um boys i think we might have some callers on the line with some we do. questions we do let's go to frank in st paul frank hi good morning see i've got a couple quick questions here one is i've been tested twice this year and both were negative and i'm wondering how accurate these nasal swabs are and secondly if one had COVID and then recovered from it, will the vaccine be necessary? And also just a comment, I've just read recently that they found uh, in the blood antibodies back in 2019. That was, and I'm just wondering about that section. Thanks. Right. Thanks, Frank. I'll, I'll try to um, uh, handle those. The first one, um, well, first of all, the antibodies. It is possible that some people were getting this in very late 2019, and we just didn't know it. That's when it arrived on planet Earth, if you will, in late 2019. So it is possible, although we're not real sure um, about that part. As for the vaccine, if you already had it, yes, you'll probably still need it. We don't know the duration of safety after you get COVID. We don't know. We don't even know if you're immune at all, but you probably are. You probably are relatively immune for a period of time. It might be a few months. We're hopeful it's a lot longer. We don't know if it's lifetime protection. Probably not. So those questions we just don't know yet. So I would recommend in the strongest possible terms that you do indeed get your uh, your COVID vaccine. And like I was saying um, to Paul Douglas earlier in the week on the air, uh, the vaccine is coming in a matter of weeks to Minnesota. It's going to be three to nine months before everybody gets it, but it's going to be coming out. Um, the first shots in the arms will be next in the next couple of weeks. And then the last part, are those nasal swabs accurate? The answer to that is yes. They're, they're not perfect. Nothing's perfect. They can be wrong. 
but they're highly accurate. They're about the most accurate thing we would have. So I would, uh, I would generally, you can believe them. But, but um, when you have a negative one, if you have symptoms, it is still possible that you have this thing. It is still possible to have it even with a negative test. Thanks, Dr. Hilden. Uh, now let's go to Ken and Blaine. Ken? Good morning. Um, I was reading in the uh, Minneapolis paper yesterday about this antibody study, and uh, it appears that uh, Hennepin Healthcare is involved in the antibody treatment and also uh, um, United Health is involved in that. And uh, I have more interest in, the, in the, how do you sign up for that uh, study. Uh, I'm going to be 75 uh, next month. And uh, so uh, could you talk a little bit more about that antibody treatment and antibody study? Yeah, um, thanks. The antibody treatment is what's called a monoclonal antibody. Uh, People might remember it as very similar to what uh, uh, Donald Trump got when he was at Walter Reed. Uh, um, It is thought, it is thought in the scientific community that if you have antibodies, in other words, your body has been exposed to the virus and you've got antibodies that perhaps that would be helpful to give your antibodies to somebody else. It didn't pan out initially, but there is some suggestion that if you manipulate those antibodies a little bit, concentrate them down, and get the ones that are specific to COVID-19, that it might be helpful. It's not going to be a game changer. It's going to maybe help a few people, maybe 5 or 10% of the people. Don't quote me on that, but it might help some people with very early disease to prevent it from getting to the point when you're in the hospital. The study that we're doing at Hennepin is on a, on a medication that we, we lovingly refer to as BAM, B-A-M, because its actual name is BAM, I can't even say it, BAM lanivimab. It's got like five syllables, BAM lanivimab, and so uh, BAM for short. And we are doing studies about, we're not, it's, it's more or less you can get it if you have early disease and you're not in the hospital. So you can go to hennepinhealthcare.org for a lot more information about that. That's at hennepinhealthcare.org. Dr. Hilden, I think that antibody, both that and just knowing uh, post symptoms, if you've had it, I, you know, I had a really bad cold after the election. I know you're shocked. Um, And it it, uh, lingered for longer than a normal cold, but I didn't have any COVID symptoms. And so once that cold cleared, I went and got an antibody test to say that I didn't have COVID just for a little peace of mind as we went into Thanksgiving. And I think Everybody's trying to figure out their best kind of entry point into their own, you know, they don't want to overwhelm testing if there's no real COVID symptoms, but there's that peace of mind to, you know, to kind of move on. And and I know not just not just the vaccine, but we're going to have a show next Sunday at noon with a ton of therapies, both for these long haulers that we're getting. So it's, I know everybody's very focused on the vaccine, but there's many, many treatments, therapies that are coming to deal with people who, you know, have survived COVID and may have some lingering issues as well, right? Exactly. The long haulers is one of the the uh, stories we should be talking about more. Everyone says, well, I didn't die, but I'm fine. I got it and it got better. There are people with symptoms that just do not seem to go away. This disease ravages your brain, your heart, your liver, your intestines, and certainly your lungs. And so um, people have symptoms for weeks and weeks, and we, people have symptoms, some of them, for months. Young athletes are getting heart disease from this. 
And so those are the questions that we're going to have to talk about um, going forward in the coming months. And we're also going to have to talk about what you just said, Blaise, that the treatments that are going to be available to people. You're listening to Healthy Matters here on News Talk 830 WCCO. I'm Blaise Olson, joined by Dr. David Hilden. And our guest this week is Jack, Dr. John Galligan. He's a respiratory therapist at Hemphill Healthcare. We'll take a break, and when we come back, your calls at 651-989-9226 or send us your text questions. WCCO News Talk 830, Blois Olson in for Rashini today. Uh, here talking to Dr. David Hilden and John Galligan about COVID, what it's like at HCMC, how we are dealing with this for respiratory therapists. And I was talking earlier just about the pressure on one particular department that there must be on respiratory therapy. And I, I want to get more into that as we go. But we have a couple questions, one on text that we've gotten a couple times. Dr. Hilden, can you talk about uh, the two or three different vaccines um, and maybe how they're different or what we know about the differences in them? Sure, I can give it a try. The first one that's going to be sent out to Minnesota hospitals is the one made by BioNTech a company in Germany and uh, distributed by Pfizer. And it, it was it's an interesting global story. The the a married couple from Turkey designed this thing based on what they had done in cancer therapy. It uses the, G, the DNA to trick your body into thinking it has COVID-19, and so your body develops an immune response. So it's a global story that a Turkish couple living in Germany and manufactured in Belgium for an American company developed a vaccine. So that's, uh, that's, that, it is amazing. That's the Pfizer one. It is um, thought to be very effective um, in, in, in developing uh, resistance to the virus, So uh, and it has found to be relatively... It's safe. Um, people do feel a little bit of punkiness when you get the vaccine. Um, uh, you're a little bit of uh, achiness and you don't feel quite right for a day or two. And that is a good thing. We're trying to let people know when you get the vaccine, don't worry if you get a little bit of not feeling well for a day or two. That means your body is responding as it should. So the other one's made by Moderna. I'm not as familiar with how that one works, but that one's going to come out a week or two later. And then the third one by AstraZeneca out of Oxford, um, that one's going to come out I don't know when. Um, that'll be the third one out. All of them have been shown to be effective. All of them have been shown to uh uh, uh, you develop some immunity, but we don't know how long the immunity lasts in any of them. So that's the unknown. But they have been shown to be safe. Um, they were developed quickly, but they were they were shown to be safe. And so in the short term, in other words, nobody had huge major problems with them. So we'll begin. Hospitals had to buy deep freezers at Hennepin. We had to buy a deep freezer to hold the vaccine because it has to be kept at extremely low temperatures. So we're ready for it when it arrives next week. The the first two vaccines that come out will both require two doses, about three or four weeks apart. Sounds great. Thanks, Doctor Hilden. Let's go to Pat in Maple Grove. Pat. Hello. Hello. Hi, Pat. Go ahead, Pat. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I'm uh, I'm glad that you have someone on who's a respiratory therapist because we hear so much about uh, doctors and nurses, but uh, I think we need to pay attention a little bit more to paramedics and respiratory therapists. But my question is, I have AFib, so I have issues with shortness of breath anyway, and so I'm wondering in what way that might be different if you thought you were having some symptoms of COVID and what you could do in the interim between calling uh, 911, and what can you do for yourself before you get to the hospital? And then also, what is the technical aspect of what 
uh, is done by the respiratory people uh, in the hospital. When you lie them on their, how do you determine if you're going to lie them on their stomach? Uh, if you lie them on their, if you lie them prone, then do you have to use like a special uh, pad so that there's more room in, uh, at the chest area, like a sponge with a hole at the chest area? How does that all work? Yeah, Pat, thank you for your call. I would echo your um, initial comment. We often hear about the doctors and nurses, and, they're, and they are important. Uh, I always say the nurses are the heart and soul of medicine, and they are the true heroes. It's nurses. But in every single patient with COVID has a respiratory therapist going in there, gowning up, putting on the equipment, putting their own safety in some, uh, in some risk, and they're, they're caring for all of the sickest patients. So I would um, second that as well as paramedics, Bob. but in the hospital, our respiratory care team. So I'm going to turn it to you, John Galligan. First of all, tell us how your team is holding up. I mean, personally, how are they holding up? And then secondly, can you answer Pat's questions about, about, about how proning works and what do you do for, with somebody who's getting short of breath? Uh, sure. The, <clears throat> uh, how the team is holding up, um, they're beat. Uh, they are really, uh, really exhausted. I, I, to this day, I don't know why uh, Hennepin Health ever thought that I was uh, a good fit for being manager, but I tell you, uh, uh, every day, every day that I walk in there um, and seeing those people come in every day and get ready to do what they do every day, every shift, um, it it just it it makes me really, really proud of of working with that that group of people. We're really really a tight family and um you know that's that's you know that's the main thing that's really holding people together is being there for each other and and leaning on each other so uh, it's a great it's a great group of people it really is and and when you talk about you know uh, uh, back into uh saying about you know you know trying to acknowledge you know the 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 people that all don't always get that acknowledgement the people that i think of of too are our environmental our environmental service people um our uh dietary people they are right there with us in the hospital making sure that the the rooms are clean that the trash is taken out that the bathrooms get cleaned out making sure that people get their food. Um, they feed us as well. Um, and there's, there's, also, there's also the people that bring us our supplies that, so, we, so that we can actually take care of people. It's, it's a huge group of people inside of that building that show up every day, gear up, and do all of that stuff. So there, there is a long, long line of people that deserve a, a, a hearty uh, slap on the back. I would concur with that. There, are, um, you know, for many people, this pandemic hasn't meant a, a easier, or, or I don't want to say easier. They haven't been staying home. They're going into work and working harder. And and the, the environmental service workers—that is what many people would know of as housekeeping. They're called environmental service workers. I'm telling you, they are there each and every day. And they're going into, you know, there's 50, 60, 70 patients with COVID in our hospital alone. And they are going into those rooms. They're gowning up. They're masking up. They've got all the gear on. they got head booties and they have booties on. They have the whole thing. And they're cleaning those rooms and they're doing it cheerfully. I have one one, um, I think of one environmental service worker, I see her every day on this one unit, and she is so 
cheerful. I can't even believe it. She's just so cheerful. And then she goes into patients' rooms with COVID and does her thing. Thank you for bringing up all of the workers who are in hospitals, John. Now, back to Pat's question. When someone has a, already has a respiratory illness, how do they know that this is, you know, what's different about COVID? And then if they do go to the hospital, when you say you put people on their tummy, proning them, prone as opposed to supine, how does that work? Um, sure. So uh, the, 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 the shortness of breath, I, I guess <clears throat> the, 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 I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in keeping things simple. If this feels different, then call it out. This is not my normal shortness of breath that I might have uh, with my um, atrial fib or with whatever chronic condition I have. Um, th- if, it's, if it's different, call it out, call and get the help, um, whether it's just reaching out to your, to your primary or if it's you know calling 911, um, call it out. If it's different, it's different. Then, then it is what it is. Just don't fake it. Don't, don't try to tough it out, really. This does not feel right. This feels different, and I need some, some extra help. Um, talking about proning, so um, uh, what I was alluding to earlier was the awake proning, so then the, the people that aren't in the intensive care unit that we have down in the, the uh, general medical areas, if we can get them to roll over on their stomach, for those people it's not, when, when you talk about padding, that's really not an issue for those folks because that person can move like you would in the middle of the night when you're sleeping. You move around because you get uncomfortable, you start to feel a little bit of um, uh, uncomfortableness, and then you move yourself. So as those those people are aware, then they can move and kind of adjust themselves so they're not on what we call those pressure points where where you don't have as much padding between like a bony surface and, and your skin. Um, but in the ICU, when you're on a ventilator, we're, we're the ones that have to take care of that for you. So literally we, we came up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say that um, uh, us at HCMC, we came up with this and, um, uh, the, and we're just the smartest thing ever because we did it. And, and I'm joking a little bit about that, but <laughs> Um, we have a proning kit that we use. So everything in there is what we need to help protect a patient once we have to roll them over on, on, onto their, their tummies. Um, and it is a lot of padding that we'll put on those pressure points um, to protect their, their, their skin surfaces. People forget about the skin. Your skin is your biggest organ, and you really have to take care of that. It really, it really does help keep all of your stuff inside of you and stuff outside of you. And um, uh, it, it, you really do forget about that stuff. But we have a proning kit that actually has that padding in there, and um, we know exactly the spots where we need to put it on. Uh, we'll actually have to turn somebody's head every two hours um, when they're on a ventilator and we're proning them just to make sure that we're offloading that pressure. It really is a... a a task, and it takes a lot of people to to really monitor somebody um, on their um, that's being prone on a ventilator. And and you know, God love the people that I work with because they make it look really, really easy. 
That's great. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're, you're listening to Healthy Matters with Dr. David Hilden and Hennepin Healthcare. When we come back, we'll wrap up your calls and your text questions. Blaise Olson in for Rashini. Welcome back to Healthy Matters with Dr. David Hilden. I'm Blaise Olson in for Rashini. We have a couple calls to get through here quick and a few text questions. So uh, let's go to Roger in Blaine. Roger? Yes, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I, I have three short questions. I'm 76 years old. I've survived uh, prostate cancer. I'm cancer-free. But 50 years ago, I had what was called Guillaume-Gambre or French polio. I'd just like to know whether or not it um, would be okay for me to get that, uh, one of those vaccines. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Um, Guillain-Barre syndrome is a neuropathy that happened after, after not commonly, but not, but not. It does happen every now and then after flu shots. Um, I can't answer that with any authority, and I'm sorry that's a kind of a halfway answer because the vaccine is so new. We haven't yet given it to lots of people. I don't know the risk about Guillain-Barre syndrome, but you are the second person to ask me that in the last 48 hours. I had somebody in the hospital ask that, so I'm going to have to look into that a little bit more. My suggestion is just make sure that you tell your doctor, whoever's giving you the vaccine, about it. My suggestion... Uh, my tendency is to say that it's so, that I would get the vaccine. I would. Um, but I don't want to say that with any authority, Roger, because we just don't know yet. And so you might be one. Uh, hopefully we'll know more in the next month or two after Pfizer and the other companies give us more information. Did they see any Guillain-Barre syndrome uh, or didn't they? And so stay tuned for more on that. And then Larry in Cambridge, uh, your question? Good morning, you guys. First of all, thank you for being here this morning, and thank you for all you do, and I want to thank your families for enduring all that they do. My question is, and I know this is might be a bit sensitive, but I think it needs to be asked, what is your visceral response to people that you see in public spaces that kind of have their chest puffed out and they're not wearing masks? Well, Larry, that is a good one. I'll tell you, I'm furious. That's what it is. I'm furious. Most of my healthcare worker friends and colleagues have been working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. They've not seen their families much. Um, uh, this, everything we're seeing now was mostly preventable. This was a failure of our country over the last few months. That's just my, that's an opinion, everybody. That's an opinion. But <laughs> we, are, we are going into, um, we, it is a colossal a colossal lack of planning on a national level. And so, you know, and this was preventable. Not all of it was preventable. We didn't invent this virus. We didn't bring it here all by ourselves. But what we, our response to it was mostly preventable. That is what most of my healthcare colleagues are thinking right now. And when we see people um, out there um, not obeying or not following basic common sense, when we think about what people did during World War II in the worlds of, in the name of sacrifice and what, what people have done before, all we're asking is that you stay home and wear a mask. That's all we're asking. And, and so that makes us a little bit, um, well, it, it gets hard. And then we see you and then we have to sign your death certificate. So that, that is a, that's a real challenge. And again, that is, you asked a provocative question. That's my provocative answer. I, I try to keep it to the scientific facts. Um, but that is, that's pretty much what everybody I know is thinking. It's like, please, people, help us out here. Help out your communities. You don't do these mitigation efforts for yourself. You're doing it for our country. And so that's what we're all hoping people learn. Dr. Hilden, uh, as we wrap up here in the next uh, 30 seconds or so, 
Um, one quick question we had was, uh, is the dentist safe? And my, my research has shown that largely going to the dentist is safe right now. Yeah, they're doing their best they can to keep you safe, and dental care is so important. So I would suggest that you go to your dentist for your care. That is not something we can put off much longer. And so, oh. hey, thanks to John Galligan. John, we have to go. I appreciate you being on the show, and thank you for everything respiratory therapists are doing. Open lines next Sunday for all your questions. Blaise Olson and for Rashini will be back soon. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.